Hi, welcome to a special edition of the McIver podcast. Now, most years, at least on election years, uh, we try to send uh, we try to send uh, representatives or reporters to uh, the political conventions that happen in Wisconsin. And uh, this past weekend was the state Republican convention, and we sent Chris Rochester there to kind of take a look around and see what was uh, see what's happening at this year's uh, this year's convention. So, Chris. Uh, First of all, uh, glad you made it back all right. And <laughs> I survived the uh, blue wave that crashed all over uh, Milwaukee. <laughs> so I guess, uh, you know, for most people, you know, I, I've never been to a political convention before, and I really didn't see all that much coverage of this uh, the convention this past weekend, which is why I kind of wanted to talk about it on the podcast this week. So, you know, for those of us who have never been to a convention before, um, you know, walk us through it. You know, what is what is a Friday night at a at a political convention look like? And, uh, you know, we'll just uh, kind of go, uh, you know, not necessarily hour by hour, but event by event. So what how did how did uh, what was your first impressions on Friday? Well, uh, so what happens on at, at every Friday at convention, which is it starts Friday night, people show up and there's a, a fish fry usually. That's kind of the welcome reception. Uh, so, you know, legions of Republican activists, uh, you know, descend on whatever city they're holding the convention in. This year it was Milwaukee. Um, and they it's just a, it's a mass meeting of Wisconsin's uh, most dedicated Republican volunteers. And uh, and and so this year, you know, there's always some kind of protest action. A couple of years ago, uh, Brett Halsey, uh, I think it was 2014, dressed up as a Confederate soldier. Uh, this the stunt of the year this year was by uh, candidate for governor Andy Gronick. Um, so outside the convention center, uh, you know, they, we talk about the blue wave all the time. People claim that it's going to devastate the Republicans this November, but on the outside of the building, you could really hardly see it. Um, driving around on Saturday was a, a brightly lit ad uh, on a box truck, uh, an ad for for Andy Gronick, hmm. who's a Democratic candidate for governor. And on Friday, so the night before that, there was like a really, it was a relatively small but angry mob of, um, of you know, MPS, MTEA activists kind of harassing people who were trying to get into the, the fish fry welcome reception. But um, that's pretty much how it starts. And so what was the, uh, all right, so real quick on the protest, like how many people are we talking here? You know, I didn't see it myself. I actually didn't make it to that because of I was talking about the lady whose tire fell off her car in the parking ramp. So mm. I was a little bit delayed for that. But uh, I mean, I saw on Twitter that you know they the MTEA, the teachers union, put up uh, some video of its own. I mean, you might be talking about a couple dozen. Okay. And it's it is Milwaukee. I mean, the, the population center of the state. And you know, so reminiscent of that liberal tax raise my taxes please protest we saw yeah, a few weeks ago yeah where we had about two dozen people for uh the big uh national tax march um so describe like what kind of what kind of person goes to a um a republican uh, state convention i mean is, are they all like you know Koch brothers big donor types <laughs> or <laughs> no i mean so if, if you've ever been to a republican field office i've worked in in several over my you know many many years of <laughs> 10 or so years um yeah, I mean, so a lot of it is just like, uh, you know, the, the, the little old lady who comes in and makes phone calls um, on her, you know, in her spare time on the weekends. Uh, it's that sort of people. So you do have elected officials from, you know, the local school board member to literally the third most powerful man in the country. Um, 
but you have a lot of just rank and file activists, county party members, county party chairs, and, uh, and, and you know, the most dedicated activists are the ones who show up. So what was the highlight of Friday night? Well, the highlight of Friday night was, for me, was the lady whose tire fell off her car. Um, um, well, now you have to explain this because you, you have referenced it twice. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to keep people suspen- you know, in suspense. <laughs> well, so, I mean, you know, everyone's parking in this huge eight-story parking ramp, and um, there's a huge line of cars, and there's a bottleneck at the top where you go around and kind of circle to the other side of the parking ramp. And uh, there's a car parked there right in the middle. I'm like, how rude. So I get out and uh, and yeah, there's, the tire just fell off her car. So hmm. I mean, she must have felt terrible because you know everyone had to back up and <laughs> and you know. But you know those things, uh, those things that that stuff happens. Yeah. So I'll, I'll, you know, for as for the convention. Yeah, the actual convention. Yeah, I mean, I think you know most people. Um, a lot of people probably point to the protesters, but you know, there's always a, it's it's usually just a big kind of party. You know, it's a, basically a People big... People haven't seen each other for a year. Right. It's, and... it's a lot like a big, huge family reunion. I heard mm-hmm. it referenced that a couple times, and that's exactly what it is. Because, uh, you know, a lot of these people are very close, and even though they might be on opposite sides of the states, uh, opposite sides of the state. Um, yeah, the highlight of, of Friday is just getting together, having a meal, having some drinks, and, and just talking with people. Cool. So I take it then Saturday is where all the, uh, all the fireworks happen. Saturday is where where everything everything really that's where all the headlines come out of basically um so yeah I talked about the liberal protest machine uh that was not exactly firing on all, all eight cylinders but <laughs> we kind of saw some of that on Saturday um Republicans on Saturday and well throughout the whole thing but mainly Saturday spent a lot of time talking about how high the stakes are for conservative reforms uh this in this uh November election and it was a big day for Governor Walker, uh, Governor Walker, especially big convention for him. He has the challenge of rallying the conservative grassroots in, you know, what is shaping up to be a tough election year. And so what he gave his speech, he kind of, I think he does this more often, is he, he did a town hall style speech kind of with a uh, platform in the middle of the crowd, uh, very good optics. Uh, and he went through the long list of conservative reforms that have been enacted during his tenure, uh, and, you know, he kind of got the audience into this, this chant. Uh, he, he'd, he'd mention a conservative reform like Act 10, like right to work, the repeal of prevailing wage and so on. And, and, uh, and he'd say, gone, you know, <laughs> Act 10, gone. And then the crowd, you know, the crowd is really getting into it. Hmm. And he was pointing out, you know, all these things, if, if the blue wave hits and, uh, the voters decide to hand over the keys to the government back to, to liberals, um, all these all these will be will be gone. So I take it he won the the nomination. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> without any opposition. Yeah, uh, well, nobody's <laughs> primarying him this year. Wow. No, no. Um, he he got uh, that was not the the uh, endorsement vote that people were there to uh, to to watch. Hmm. Um, I think that comes later though, right? That that came later uh, in the day on Saturday. So so, so who spoke after Walker? Well, so uh, just to finish up with Walker, uh, he he he. Uh, for those who go to these, uh, you know, the Lincoln dinners around the state and everything, they've heard a lot of this before. But you know, he said that we can 
be the red wall. Or this was referred the to by wall. several politicians. Huh. The, the goal, the goal forth from this convention, be the red wall that's going to stop the blue wave. I, I, I got to be honest, it's the first I've heard of the red wall. Yeah, I think uh, uh, Senate Majority Leader Fitzgerald mentioned that in his speech too. Um, but, you know, Walker talked about, we need to go forward with optimism and organization. And that's as opposed to what Walker has been describing as the hate and the anger that motivates liberals and also uh, the mountains of cash from the likes of, uh, you know, Tom Steyer, who's a out-of-state billionaire. Well, how many times are we going to hear that um, from liberals against, or have we heard that from liberals talking about Governor Walker? Well, now you have Tom Steyer and uh, former President Barack Obama's political machine, Organizing for Action, are, mm. are playing big time in the state. But uh, so after Walker went... Uh, no, actually, I got to fast forward earlier in the day. Brad Schimmel had a similar message. Uh, he uh, he's also facing a tough challenge this fall from liberal lawyer Josh Call, uh, who's the son of uh, former uh, Attorney General Peg Lautenschlager. Um, sh- he reminded the GOP faithful here that the main bullet point on Josh Call's resume is his time as an attorney at the Washington D.C. law firm Perkins Coie. I think that's how you pronounce it. Hmm. I can never get that yeah. right. Um, but if that name's familiar, it's because that's the law firm that produced the Steele dossier, uh, which has obviously become an infamous you know, part of the political conversation. And, uh, and Schimmel reminded Wisconsin uh, Republicans there that uh, the fact that, uh, and this is one thing he's very proud of, the Wisconsin's been a leader in the crusade against the opioid epidemic. And he made sure to stress that point. And, you know, he talked about other successes we've had in this state. He talked about how, uh, as AG, he even defends laws he doesn't like because that's his job. He's a state's lawyer. You know, will it, it seems that Josh Call is going to wear his progressivism on his sleeves and pick and choose which laws he would, you know, which laws he likes and then defend them. So that was, you know, uh, Schimmel went on and, and he talked about the successes like what Walker would later talk about during the day. And he remi- also reminded the audience that it could all be washed away if that the success stories aren't told. And that's kind of what those people who were in attendance uh, kind of see themselves as, as messengers for the cause. So they were equipped by by some of these, by all these speeches with, with messages that they can go and tell their people back home, uh, use on the phones when they're making phone calls. And, uh, you know, just share with friends and family and, and, you know, when they're at the bar or whatever, you know, what, in their social circles. And that's ultimately how ca- campaigns are won. So who, uh, so Walker's speech well received, who came after him? Oh, uh, let's see. After Walker, well, I mean, you don't have really, to walk through every single speech. I mean, I know, uh, you know, Paul Ryan, you know, spoke about his, uh, you know, I'm sure he got a very warm reception considering that, you know. Been a congressman for, geez, twenty years, almost twenty, 20 years, years, and yeah. now he's going to, you know, be retiring, Speaker of the House. He mentioned. I uh, imagine he's the first Speaker of the House from Wisconsin. Yeah, <laughs> no, he, yeah. So you know, twenty years, but he's also. I met. He mentioned this is his twenty-sixth convention that he's been to, and you know, this was the last one where he is speaking as a congressman. So it was. Uh, it was. Right after the, you know, you break, go to lunch, come back, uh, and get ready for the rest of the action. Um, I should mention, you know, early in the day, like at 7 o'clock, mm-hmm. uh, is when all the, you know, the 
platform type of business gets taken care of. Yeah. I think a lot of people sleep in. Uh, <laughs> it, it gets to be pretty technical, but um, just have to mention that. That is a big part of it. It's not just rah-rah speeches, but anyway, so that got done. Yeah, any, any convention. I mean, I yeah. haven't been to political ones, but, yeah, you always have your business meeting where you go through the procedures and the policies that you're – yeah, you know, uh, you know, there's a misplaced A on page six, paragraph two, line three, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. A lot of, but um, you know, getting back to Paul Ryan, so we all broke for lunch, came back, um, and Paul Ryan, uh, well, so I, I should say, the dean of the Wisconsin congressional delegation, hmm. Congressman uh, Jim Sensenbrenner, came out, gave a real well-received speech and obviously he's a guy who gets a standing ovation all the time because everyone's got enormous respect for him uh, he's been in congress since 1979 and he's he's wisconsin's longest serving congressional representative and i believe one of the top co- couple oh, yeah, members of congress in terms of tenure obviously he's been a, a major leader on many things so he got a big standing ovation but his he, he was coming out to introduce paul ryan and he, you know, talked about, you know, the way Paul Ryan has approached his job and the successes that he's had. The biggest one being the tax reform bill. And he and 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 Sensenbrenner pointed out, you know, the House has done a lot of things under Paul Ryan, passing over 500 bills, but they've gone to the Senate to die. And and so he made that point, um, and then introduced Paul Ryan. Paul Ryan came out. Uh, and that was the speech that had everyone's rapt attention. Uh, everyone was stand, you know, gave him a big standing ovation. Uh, delegates just listened with intensity as, cause you know, we knew this was Paul Ryan's last convention speech as a member of Congress. And he, you know, obviously talked about welfare reform, what his goals are going to be with his time left as speaker, what they've, what they have accomplished, and then he kind of ended the speech by just saying thank you, how, how you know how grateful he is, and chance of thank you, Paul, filled the room, and that was a really cool moment because mm-hmm. this is a guy who obviously has got an enormous amount of respect from uh, from these delegates. Cool. So, what was uh, so we had uh, Walker Sensenbrenner, we had Paul Ryan give his. Uh, well, I'm sure he's going to be giving lots of farewell addresses. Oh, yeah. But... This was the big one. This was the big one to, okay. you know, the whole state. Um, he said, looking out in this room I, and, and going, hanging out and with, you know, with the delegates, he knows, it's, you know, 60, 70% of all the people. Um, and he probably, knows them all by first name, too. Probably, <laughs> and most of them probably have a selfie with him, yeah. you know, at some point <laughs> over the years. I know I've got mine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, everyone, you know, everyone took their turns. You, we heard from Speaker Robin Voss earlier in the day. We heard from uh, Scott Fitzgerald, uh, Rebecca Clayfish, Senator Johnson, uh, various other people. Um, and, you know, the crescendo of the, of the, of the thing, of course, was the endorsement vote for U.S. Senate uh, 
Um, I, I feel like drum wa- drum rolls. <laughs> we all yeah. know by now what happened. Yeah, we all know what happened by now, and it was we all kind of f- knew what would happen or had a pretty good sense of what was going to happen. Um, obviously, we're talking about the endorsement vote for U.S. Senate delegates casting their ballots for either uh, Marine veteran Kevin Nicholson or State Senator Leah Wait, Vukmir. Whoa, 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 whoa. He, he was in the Marines? <laughs> Uh, he's, his campaign has made it very clear. He has, uh, he's, he's a, a Marine veteran. And, okay. And, um, you know, Vukmir, uh, handily secured the endorsement. She won a resounding six, 73%, uh, nearly, you know, it was a 72.66. Um, you know, since she's a longtime fixture at party events like the convention and, you know, all around the state, and she actually had also won, uh, handily, you know, by s- 60 to 70 percent uh, won a string of straw polls at Lincoln dinners and you know caucuses and everything throughout the state it didn't come as a surprise to most people yeah um, but one thing that's notable is that before the vote so you know just kind of a technical technical aspect of the vote it's literally just there's people who wear vests who go around to each county and hand out a packet of paper ballots and every every chairman has to give each member of their county's delegation a paper ballot you circle the name that you want to endorse mm-hmm. you count it up you put it back in the envelope and they take it backstage and that's literally how it's done hmm. and the uh, it, it is really dramatic they put the results up on the screen and the chair of each county goes to a mic they got mics scattered around the room and they will say you know Lacrosse County, you know, six, six votes for Leah Vukmir, four for Kevin Nicholson. It goes up on the board, yeah. and then you go through alphabetically by county, and at the end of the process, you know who won. And so I find it as a – this is my 10th convention. I find that to be very, very interesting and fascinating and just mm-hmm. like the, the high drama. Um, but anyway, getting back to Senator, John, Senator Johnson, before the vote – he took the stage, and he was, by the way, he was like emceeing, so he was taking the stage a lot. But he took the stage and he gave some solemn advice for both Nicholson and Vukmir. Keep the focus on defeating Tammy Baldwin in November. Don't attack each other. He, he talked about the 2012 Republican primary that was just, you know, famous, infamously brutal. Um, that, you know, there was not an endorsement in that in that race. So it was just kind of became a free for all bloodbath up until the primary election. And it left the eventual nominee, Tommy Thompson, just too bruised and, and financially broke to yeah. match Baldwin's political. Yeah. Machine. I remember that race, how he was, um, you know, after he got the nomination, you know, and you know, Tammy, Tammy Baldwin's going off and she's campaigning and Tommy's going off and he's fundraising cause he didn't have any money. To yeah. Campaign. I, I think he was left with like 300 or so, you know, 300,000 and change, which, in a, you know, in a general Senate race, that's mm. not a lot of money. And, uh, it, it gave her time to, to recast Thompson as, someone else you know not yeah that not washington outsider not he, for us anymore that sort of thing and yeah that I mean, was very successful she well one thing that any good political operative will say is you have to look at the other side uh and assess what their strengths are and their weaknesses and um and adapt you know so uh one thing that she is good at is politics she might not 
be good at picking up the phone when someone's calling about the Toma VA, <laughs> but she's good at politics. So Johnson got up and he, he talked about that and urged them to be nice to each other. Um, we'll see how that plays out. We'll see. We'll <laughs> see. Um, and he, th- this is important too. He repeated an admonition that he first delivered on the Jay Weber show. He said, whoever failed to secure the party's endorsement could learn a lot from Scott Walker circa 2006. Uh, when uh, Scott Walker bowed out of the race for governor to make way for Mark Green. We all know how that decision eventually panned out for, yeah, that, for that Governor been, Scott a, a very, Walker. A very strategic uh, retreat there. Yeah. So, you know, that was what uh, that was Johnson's advice. Uh, so um, naturally, after the endorsement vote, which was it was bigger than what I expected, uh, chatter was uh, you know bounded among the delegates. And they were all asking, would Nicholson take Johnson's advice and bow out? And, you know, time will tell, but it wasn't long at all before the Vukmir campaign um, all called on Nicholson to leave the race so the general election campaign can begin. Well, it's, you know, it's 4 o'clock Monday, Monday afternoon, and I, I haven't seen any press releases come down yet. You know, announcing a withdrawal? Or, or, or you know, like some, you know, big, uh, you know, big counter punch. Yeah, no, um, you know, I... I I don't know. I I think that obviously the general election will be much easier for Republicans if uh, if so, if it was just one person. Uh, and you know this is this seventy three percent endorsement is a pretty resounding show of support from the people who will be working the phones. And knocking on the doors and doing the work that the general election campaign is going to require. Uh, you know, Wisconsin's still a grassroots state, which is, you can tell by how important these conventions are. People like to get one-on-one contact with someone. They're not necessarily big on mailings and robocalls and TV ads. It's, you know, that face-to-face contact is most important. And so this, this uh, endorsement by Vukmir, you know, people ask, you know, what does it mean? And it's kind of a nebulous thing, hmm. but mainly I think what it means is, Vukmir's name will be on the phone call when the numerous, I think we have half a dozen Republican field offices around the state, when they're making a phone call to someone, they can mention, hey, by the way, vote Vukmir too. Well, so, so what, yeah, so what did it mean to Tommy Thompson in terms of, you know, fundraising when he didn't get the endorsement? Well, I think it, people looked at it and said, well, we've got a, we've got a wide open race here and mm-hmm. I, I want to get behind the eventual winner. Could be any of these guys. Yeah. So someone who may not be committed to one candidate or the other, they just want to be, you know, they want to get behind the Republican who's going to go on to win. You know, obviously, if the field is thin, thinner, you are much more likely to uh, contribute your money now rather than wait until the primary. Yeah. And um, all right. So the big. Uh, so uh, was that the last thing that happened Saturday night, or what was there? Uh... The last thing that happened on Saturday is always the hospitality suites, but oh. that was the last official And you don't remember business. anything from that. <laughs> hey, I behaved myself. All right, so you got a lot of uh, audio and video from uh, this convention. We're going to be playing one of the uh, – we're going to be playing some highlights or, you know, one of the speeches. So what, what's the best one? Which one are we going to hear? Uh, I think it's, it'd be completely appropriate to play Paul Ryan's uh, – uh, I don't want to call it a farewell speech. Hmm. Paul Ryan's last speech as a member of Congress. Okay. And um, all right. So 
we won't be coming back after that speech. We're just going to let it play out. But when's the Democrat convention? Uh, it's sometime in June. June. And do, uh, do we have any details for that one yet? Do we know when it's going to or where it's going to be or? I, I don't know off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. I know it's in June, and it'll be equally interesting uh, on that side because there's a large field of candidates running for governor. You want to talk about endorsements and, you know, uh, you know inter-party uh, discord? I mean, there's a lot of people running for the Democratic nod for governor, and uh, that'll definitely be, I would imagine, the highlight of their convention. Well, and they're going to rally around Tammy Baldwin, no doubt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, but, I mean, that will be interesting because, I mean, like, we've seen what happens with, you know, obviously Tommy Thompson when he was going for the Senate, and, I mean, that was like a four-way race or three or four. I can't remember. We're going back a few years, right? We're going back <laughs> a few. It was six years ago. But, but in any case, the more candidates, the harder it is to get over 50% of, you know, the vote. <laughs> yeah, and, and if, it's, if their process is anything like the Republican process, it, it, you can go multiple ballots and you kind of winnow it down, you know, you – in the Democrats' case, you, you and the know, people that aren't there can't vote again, so yeah, you I, don't have that. I, I don't know how yeah. how you know how it's going to work with that many candidates because that could be a really long process where you you knock off the bottom, you know, the bottom candidate, and then you move on to another ballot. Yeah. Uh, that could really take a long time, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing your report from that one then. <laughs> journey that we have had together because Wisconsin is strong, America is stronger, and it's because all of us came together to make a big difference in our state and our country, and I thank you for that. (laughs) 
we were just over at the uh, Republican Women lunch, and I was just keying off of Duffy's and talking about um, election night of, of 2016. And let me just give you a chronology of things. I remember election night. I was at home about 7.30 at night. Jenna and I were about to head over with the kids to the Holiday Inn Express where we were doing our, our big victory party. Um, folks back there, you were there, that, 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 I see Pam waving her hand there. We were there that night. And um, a very good friend of ours, a good friend of mine, told me about the exit polling that had come in. And the exit polls, if you now remember, they didn't look very good. The exit polls, you know, made it look like we weren't going to win the White House and we were going to lose the Senate and just maybe we hang on to the House. So apparently what happened that night is a whole bunch of Americans, by the millions, went into the, into the voting booth, pulled their ticket for a Republican for the Senate, for the House, and for Donald Trump, and then left and told the exit pollster they did the opposite. <laughs> So we were walking, watching the returns rolling that night, and I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, Kenosha County started coming in strong. I mean, it was coming in stronger than I had seen it come in really ever up and down the ticket. And we were looking at our numbers, we were looking at Ron Johnson's numbers, at Donald Trump's numbers, and then we said, oh my gosh, let's go look at some other counties around the state. You know, Marathon County and Price County and LaCroix County, all over the state, Brown County. And we thought to ourselves, wow, uh, Ron Johnson's going to win. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty exciting. And then we look over and we see, wait a second, Donald Trump's going to win Wisconsin. <laughs> and then we were talking to ourselves, wait a second, Donald Trump's going to win Wisconsin. Well, what about, you know, Pennsylvania or Michigan or Ohio and the rest of the country states kind of like Wisconsin? And that's when we decided to turn our TV from the war room we had from Fox News over to, to CNN, MSNBC. Because <laughs> we wanted to watch the expressions on their faces. <laughs> and it ended up being a great night. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and so fast forward a little, a little bit later. And uh, one of my closest friends in Congress, a guy I did Bible study with for about uh, 10 years on Wednesday mornings, a guy named Mike Pence, a uh, good friend of mine, good man. <laughs> We've been talking and we decided let's get together um, early, you know, right after the election and merge forces. And we went and sat down with the then president and vice president-elect and walked through the agenda walk through the better way agenda that we in the House had rallied around and organized on and run on. Because if you remember, and Jim kind of alluded to it, uh, I wasn't looking for the job as Speaker of the House. I actually had achieved the job I was looking for, Chairman of Ways and Means Committee. And um, out of a sense of duty, I took the job and believed that it had to be done, and I'm grateful, grateful for, for the opportunity. But I did it on basically two conditions. Number one, we as a party have got to stand for something. We have to have a plan. We have to be the proposition party, not just the opposition party. What I was worried about is, what if we win it all and we don't have a plan? I mean, we do not want to waste the first year of a brand new Republican presidency and a Republican Congress looking to see what to do then. We wanted to be ready to go. We wanted to be ready with a plan of action to go take action to get this country on the right track. That was condition one. And the other condition, which I'll talk about a little bit 
later here, uh, was family. You know, I'm the youngest guy in this job since something like 1860 something. Uh, some guy named Blaine. Uh, <laughs> so with kids at home, it's a pretty hard job for that. It's, it's a good job for empty nesters. It's not the right kind of job uh, for people with kids at home because you're always on the road. So it was important for me to be home at least on weekends. And so fast forward, we walked the president through the plan that we had run on. He said, I love it, add infrastructure to it, and I'm in. And so we laid out a painstaking plan of attack for this session of Congress. And I just want to walk you through exactly where we are and what the results of that, that are. Number one, in the House of Representatives, we've passed well over 500 bills since Donald Trump took his hand off the Bible and became President of the United States. We have done things big and we have done things small. And as Jim alluded to, and it's certainly not Ron's fault, uh, wherever Ron is, <laughs> the crazy filibuster means over 400 of those bills are still sitting stuck in the United States Senate because of Chuck Schumer and his filibusters. But even with that, we have gotten a ton of things done. First on our list was, was rein in this hyper-regulatory state of unelected bureaucrats trying to micromanage our society and our economy. There's this thing called the Congressional Review Act. It's a legislative tool that cannot be filibustered. You can repeal a recent regulation. In this case, Obama went nuts on regulations at the end of his term, just kicked regulations out. This law, you can repeal a regulation, and repealing that cannot be filibustered. It was done once in the prior 20 years. As of last week, we have done 16 in-law, signed into law, Obamacare regulations gone. That is real regulatory So our regulatory relief agenda is well on its way. And one of the big benefits of it is just look around the economy. Look at the energy sector itself. Because we've lifted the, the, the ban on crude oil ex, uh, exports, because we've got ANWR, because we have regulatory certainty, we now have discovered in just one little part of Texas, Midland, Texas, an oil field we can get at that is now larger than the Saudi Arabian oil field, and that's just in Texas. We are dominating as a country, our regulatory reform is working, and we are turning jobs back on in this country. The next thing was, as Jim mentioned, I'm a passionate believer in reforming our entitlement systems so that our kids and our grandkids get a debt-free country so that we can keep, make the promises government had been making. And Obamacare is a complete disaster. So we did pass that bill, which is a massive entitlement reform bill. We passed that bill to repeal and replace Obamacare, which would have dri driven down premiums. But unfortunately, it failed by a vote in the United States Senate. But we didn't let that daunt us. We didn't let that knock us off course. We decided, okay, we're gonna to go to an incremental plan. And so since then, we've repealed the individual mandate, that's in law. We've repealed their price controlling body called the Independent Payment Advisory Board, that's in law. And we're going down the path and we're gonna be doing more things in healthcare, letting small businesses buy together and nationwide buying pools and the rest. So we're gonna keep prosecuting this entitlement reform and healthcare reform issue because that is what the country deserves. Thank you. That's what people want. We then set our sights on another thing we could get around the filibuster, and that was tax reform. And as Jim mentioned, um, the tax reform we did wasn't just the first time we've done tax reform since 1986. It was really the biggest tax reform since we have seen in any of our lifetimes. It was far more profound 
than the 1981 tax reform or the 1986 tax reform. It was far more comprehensive. Not only do families in Wisconsin get an average of $2,500 back on their taxes starting this year, not only do we double the standard deduction, not only do almost 9 out of 10 people get to fill out their, their, their taxes on a simplified system, not only does the child tax credit get doubled, but we have changed the way businesses are taxed, so guess what? They stay in America. They stay here in this country. They build more things. So we're seeing hundreds of billions of dollars coming back into this country from overseas because of our tax laws. We're seeing massive investments occurring in factories expanding and workers going back to work. We are seeing America being in the driver's seat again. We had the worst tax code in the industrialized world, and now we have one of the top three in the industrialized world because of Republicans in Congress and Donald Trump. So we've moved on to go fix our military. Because as you know, like the president promised that we ran on, we had to save our military. Those Obama sequesters really howled on our military. We lost 80 service members last year to equipment failures and training accidents because of a readiness crisis in our military. So that's where we went to next. And guess what? That is now done. It's the law of the land. We are rebuilding our military. We're giving the men and women who put their lives next on the line for us the honor that they deserve and the resources that they need to keep us safe. So now we have Donald Trump sitting down with the North Korean dictator with the most powerful military the world has ever seen and will ever see. That is what Republicans do when we get in charge. We made that promise, we kept that promise. And now we want to go make sure that we get people to where they want to get in life. We've been talking about our plans as conservatives, as Republicans, for fighting poverty and restoring upper mobility, for closing that skills gap and that opportunity gap for so long, we're actually doing it. Opportunity Zone, something that I worked on 25 years ago with Jack Kemp, is now law of the land. These are private sector solutions to get people from welfare to work, to get people out of poverty. We're bringing a welfare reform and workforce development bill through that says, number one, two-year school is cool again in America. <laughs> number two, get rid of the bureaucracy, send those, control those dollars back to our state and localities so that our technical college can join with our employers and give people the skills they need to get the jobs they want. Because guess what? There are 6.6 .6 million jobs open in America today. And there are 12 million men and women in America today, able-bodied, don't have little kids who aren't working, who aren't looking for work, who are not in school. We have got to pull people from the sidelines into the workforce. We've got to help people get off of welfare into the workforce. And that is what we're going to be doing. We're basically saying, if you're an able-bodied person, you're receiving food stamps, this isn't a forever thing, it's a conditional thing. You've got to work or go to school. We'll cover the cost of school. It's, 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 it's not tough love, it's smart love. It is getting people from where they are to where we want them to be. You see, we've had this, this idea that some people in society should just stay right where they are. You know, the government's here to help you cope with your station in life, just stay, stay put. That's not the American idea. That's not what we believe. That's not what this country or this state is built on. Everybody can make it in this country. 
The condition of your birth doesn't determine the outcome of your life. That's our creed, it's our credo, it's our belief systems, our values. And that's what we're fighting for right now. And you see, the things that we've been doing, whether it's overhauling the regulatory state, getting people from welfare to work, making sure that people get the skills they need to get the jobs they want, reforming the tax system, all of this is happening in an economy the likes we haven't seen in a long, long time.